Let's see your toes if you're not wearing the J's. Are you barefoot right now? Nah, I'm wearing my golden gooses right now. Oh wow, you've switched off with the golden gooses. Dude, oh. That's that's the uh, that's the Kyle Allen style right there. <laughs> what is an NFL quarterback room like? So two years ago, I trained Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Kyle Allen. That was my draft class. I think that this league is filled with opportunities, and the guys that, that stay in the league for a long time are the guys that take advantage of those opportunities. I'm just a big believer in repetition. I'm a big routine guy, and goals never end. I'm just a big, 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 routine guy, and once I stepped on that field today, I was good, man. Welcome to The Room, episode 12. Got a banger guest today, somebody near and dear to Kyle Allen's heart, uh, Taylor Heineke of the Washington Commanders. We actually, we actually pre-recorded this earlier today, just scheduling, and uh, I think those of you who are new to The Room um, are going to take a lot from it. Those of you who've been following along on this journey that Kyle and I are on, interviewing these players on huge weeks and huge matchups, I think you'll be able to pull a lot from it. Uh, but if you are new to the room, this is uh, this is the quarterback room. I mean, we call this the room because it's the most important room in any building. Um, if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. If you don't have a quarterback, uh, very seldomly do we see a team with a chance. Um, but in that room, Kyle's in the room right now. Kyle's the quarterback, for, uh, backup quarterback for the Houston Texans. I played in the league for a while. I work with players, um, high school, college, and pro. I uh, hope work with a lot of people who are in that room. The conversations are authentic. Quarterbacks are exposed to more life, more stuff, more BS, more high highs, more low lows um, than any of the other players in that locker room. And so this is concept. The room is sharing that with um, the different fan bases and football fans in general. Young. I know a lot of young people watch this as well. Um, we're growing. We're doing our thing. We're learning. We're trying to be great at this. And so um, secondary to our day job, which Kyle is with the Texans and I'm doing whatever the hell I'm doing. Um, but uh, I think you're going to love this uh, Taylor Heineke interview. Uh, one of the most fascinating journeys. Everybody knows who Tom Brady is. Everybody knows who Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, all these guys. And, and their life is so much out there on social media and the media picks them up that people don't realize that there's Taylor Heineke's out there who were in the XFL as a backup quarterback three years ago, um, who've had to claw and fight and get their way into the league. Kyle has a similar journey. I had a similar journey minus the success and the starts. But it's real and it's very, very similar to uh, a lot of people's journey in life. And so uh, it was a fascinating conversation and we'll get into that. But before we get into the interview, let's do some other stuff. What do you want to do, Kyle? Uh, we're going to get to throw a deeper check down, but do we'll Taylor Heineke interview first. I think the interesting part about this interview is I have known Taylor since the second I stepped in the league. He was on my rookie year in Carolina. He was there. I was the four. Or a quarterback. Yeah, there's four quarterbacks on team sometimes in preseason. I was the four. He was the three. We spent two years together there, a couple years together in Washington. Now we're in different places, Bond, but we've literally, like, our journeys are so intertwined, and we talk about it a lot in this interview, and I think it's probably one of the best interviews we've done so far because of all the different things. Like, he said it. Like, we've been different stepping stones in each other's career, and he has so many great stories from the XFL in his days with when we were with Cam in Carolina all the ups and downs. And when we talk about journeys, we go through two minute drills, like his journey is all time and it's super relatable. So um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear that interview. It was one of my favorite years. We've done and so. one of my favorite things from it too, is he talks about how his, he modeled his game as a young kid growing up in Wisconsin, watching Brett Favre play and die, being a diehard Packer fan and watching Brett Favre play. He just beat Aaron Rodgers at green Bay two weeks ago. So this whole full circle-ness that happens in the NFL, your idols become your rivals. Um, 
And uh, I love it. So with no further ado, let's get into uh, Throw It Deep and Check It Down. So Throw It Deep, Check It Down. We're going to get you some takes around the league, some thoughts. Um, we got three of them today, and we're going to throw it deep if we agree with it, or we're going to check it down if we don't agree with it. First one, Jordan, I'm going to throw all these to you. A quarterback's first start should be celebrated even if they play shit. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I interface with quarterbacks of all ages, and I know a lot of kids who finally got to start on varsity, and they've been in that program for three years or sometimes four years. That's a milestone moment, college especially. I mean, you see, saw K-State last week play Oklahoma State, and the K-State quarterback comes in and throws for four touchdowns and 386 in his first start, and they they beat him 45 to nothing, something crazy. Like, that's a memorable one. But then again, there's really shitty ones. I don't remember my first, like, start in college, but I I know we won one game that year, so I'm sure I lost. Um but yeah, I think it absolutely should be celebrated. It's a milestone moment. Now, I'm so I'm throwing it deep. Now, if you go, I made it, and you stop working and you change who you are, then you're dead on arrival anyway. Mm-hmm. So I checked down in that case. But no, I think it should be should be celebrated. Absolutely, it's a milestone moment. You can play a lot at receiver, but there's three or four receivers out there. O lineman, you might play six or seven guys over the course of a game. Only one guy touches that ball and gets to say set hut and call the play. Uh, everything that goes into playing quarterback, I think, should be celebrated. You. It's, it's really hard for me to do this because I completely agree with you that it's a milestone moment, but I'm checking it down on this strictly because it, it's something that I think you told me, Kirk Herbstreit told you, you got to be ready. You don't, you just don't get opportunities all the time. You got to be ready to execute when your opportunity comes, and especially in this league, in the NFL and in college, right? You're not going to get many opportunities and you have to execute. And if you play shitty, you don't know you, this could be your only time. Like you may never get another opportunity. And so from, it's I'm in between because it should be celebrated. It's a milestone moment. Like you've made it to where a team thinks that you're good enough, that you should be on that field. The one guy, you know, there's 32 teams in the NFL. There's one guy out there at quarterback, but I got to check it down. You got to play good. But um, going back to QB stories before we move on to the next one, my first quarterback start um, in the NFL uh, was my rookie year. That year I had gotten cut earlier in the year, was on my parents' couch for nine weeks, re-signed to the practice squad in Carolina was just having the time of my life being on practice squad, not having any worries, just practicing through the week, going on trips, watching NFL games, like, you know, being in it. Cam Newton goes down week 15. Taylor Heineke, who we have on the show today, he goes in week 16, tears his tricep. And then next thing you know, last week of the season, we've lost seven games in a row. We're playing the number one team in the NFL at the time, the Saints, who were 13 and two. Last game of the season, everyone's kind of checked out. I think Chris McCaffrey played like, a series and a half that game, all our stars in play. And we end up going and winning 30 to like seven balled out. And so for me, that first thought, the first start was super memorable and really important in my career. And kind of goes back on what I said is when you get your opportunities, you have to capitalize on them. So, and I think you threw for 297, two t- passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown, I think something like that. So that was real memorable. Yeah. I was going nuts. I was in Tahoe. I was in Incline Village, staying at Dilfer's house mm. at the casino with money on that game and it was like 10 a.m. and I'm just pacing around this casino. There's nobody in it. it. smells like smoke. There's nobody in there just going nuts. And these people are like, are you cheering on the Carolina game right now? <laughs> I lost my shit. That was a milestone moment for me as well. So it was awesome. Another milestone moment was the next year when you started at Arizona where you're from 
went down, beat them, threw for four touchdowns. That was awesome. I was at that game. Shout out to DQ and Kearney for making the trip. Drove to Arizona, watched you play, drove back that night. That was, a, that was another memorable day, memorable start for you and the hundred people you had at that game. Oh, really? So. Real supporter. Appreciate that. All right. Yep. All right. We're going to move on to the next one. Uh, similar take, similar question. Quarterbacks approach a game differently when they're playing against their former team. As much as they'll say in front of the media, it's just another game. It doesn't really matter. It really matters more. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm throwing that deep. 100% it matters more, especially if they like... It's one thing if you like played on that team. It's another thing if you were like the quarterback on that team. And I think about my brother... Played, I think, eight years in Cincinnati. He was the number one pick there. He signed a big deal there. He had a very, uh, whatever, his exit, his departure, demanding a trade, going out of there. Then he went mm-hmm. to Oakland. Then he goes to Arizona, and he finally gets a chance on Sunday night football um, to play against the Bengals in Arizona, and they were good then. And uh, dude threw three picks in the first half. Oh. And I remember – um, and Andy Dalton's the starter and all that stuff. And I think two of them were like bad picks too. And I'm sitting in the the box. It was halftime. Um, I think it was like a seven point game or something like that. And, uh, my family's suite, my brother's family suite was like next to the opposing owner's suite. And so, and I, I played for the Bengals too. I went next door. I talked to Mike Brown and Katie Blackburn and, and Paul Brown Jr. And, you know, saw everybody and said, what's up and tried to do before the game. It just didn't work out. So I went over at halftime, said hello and all that stuff. And then my brother comes out and throws four touchdowns in the second half and comes back and wins. And it was just, yes, it meant more. And I guarantee if we look up quotes from my brother in the media that week, I guarantee he said, it's just another game. And we just take it one week at a time. And we've got to wrap up on defense and complete balls and run the ball. Like I'm sure he had all those token bullshit answers, but come on. That was the Super Bowl. Especially your brother. Yeah. I'm yes. like, too. And when I think about this, I think about well, we had a trip um, down in Mississippi this year where we were hanging out with some guys and Favre was down there and Favre was telling us stories around uh, around the fire late at night about right. when he left Green Bay, that whole situation in Green Bay, he left Green Bay and he was in, I think he went to New York first, right? He went to the Jets. He went to the Jets first. And I can't remember what the situation was, the games. He was in Minnesota too, so maybe it was in Minnesota. But when he was talking about going back and playing green Bay and all the different things that like went on in green Bay that happened that made him, you know, just, just so many different emotions involved in that game and how good it felt. I can't remember if he won or not, but no, he was saying when he went to New York to the jets, AFC, he was like, whatever it takes for me to get to the NFC North. Yeah. He was trying to get back. That's what it was. He whatever was- it takes. So that year in New York, he was like, I'd have played for free. Yeah. <laughs> just get me in a Vikings uniform. <laughs> I'll take this year in Jets prison over here, and then I'm going straight back to the NFC North. So you can play them twice a year. So yes. that, and so, there's no doubt that it matters more. And you're so right. People in the media, they're just gonna say, "Oh, it's just another week." You know, they're not gonna try and create stories. But especially at the quarterback position, when you are the franchise and you poured so much into your former team, like Carson poured so much into Cincinnati, like and to get a win too, I think that's probably better than most other games, even playoff games sometimes. And it's definitely heightened if they got rid of you. Like, yeah, I don't know if golf has played the Rams yet. You know what I mean? But like those mm-hmm. types of situations, it's yeah. like, wow, this is the Super Bowl, bro. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last one before we get into the interview. Um, Auburn recently fired their head coach. Another huge buyout situation. The buyout was quick, bro. That was quick. I don't know anything about that guy, but that was quick. Real quick. And it just seems like money is endless in college football. But 
besides the point, um, do we think Auburn is the best open open head coaching position in the right now? And I think we've talked about this before, but off the big open. Now you got Nebraska, Wisconsin, Georgia Tech, Arizona State, Colorado, and I'll add in more on that. If it is the best spot, or if one of these is the best spot, what is what makes a place a good spot? Like what makes a coach want to go there and what makes a coach thinks that he can get players to go there? Well, I, I think the coaching world, I mean, it still revolves around money and, and it's the thing that nobody talks about. Like entrepreneurs talk about money and business people talk about money. We, you know, you've got young friends that are ascending in their career and going from like director to manager. So like, you know, as players, we talk about money, right? We all know what everybody makes, right? Um, coaches, they just don't talk about it a ton. Um, but one, can you pay me top dollar or am I taking this job to then get a job that can pay me top dollar? So one, I think it's gotta be money. And for some coaches, maybe that's second on the list or third on the list, but I don't think it's fourth on the list for anybody. So Auburn, just, just getting rid of a coach that quickly and moving on, they're going to swing for the fences. They're not going to try and get somebody at the same level as the last guy. They're going to try and get, you know, I've, I've heard we've seen rumors with Bill O'Brien, people like that. So you're going to try and level up. Um, so financially, one, the second part of the finances is, is can you can we afford to compete at the highest level? So I think Auburn can afford to compete at the highest level, whether that's NIL, whether that's facilities, whether that's all the other things that go into it. So from a financial standpoint, do you have the resources to allow us to compete at the highest level of that list? Uh, I don't know specifically what Wisconsin and Nebraska have. I know Colorado doesn't. I know Arizona State doesn't. I know Georgia Tech doesn't. So uh, I think Auburn is the best job. And I, I think as of right now, that's that's the probably the best landing spot. And, we'll you know, there'll be more turnover. There'll be some other spots that open up and we'll see what happens. But um, people have, you know, they won a national title there with your boy Cam not that long, not that long ago. Yeah. That was- um, and had a Heisman Trophy winner and a number one pick at that school not that long ago. Um, and they can compete They're in the SEC. You know, you win four or five really hard games a year. You beat up on the rest of them and poof, you're in the, the college football playoff. It's not that simple, but it is that simple. Um, you don't have nine tough opponents. They got three or four or five if you're at the top tier. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great job. It's crazy because I've been to Auburn, training Bo Nix, training Jarrett Stidham. Uh, it's not an appealing place. There's nothing there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's like an hour and a half from Atlanta. You know, you're out there. But the majority of the best college programs are in the sticks. Anyways, um, so I think Auburn's that spot. Uh, I'm throwing it deep, and um, I think they can do it. Although there's there's merit to some of these other spots. I mean, what can Nebraska do? I mean, the, the only the thing in Nebraska is like the only way to go is up, right? So yeah, yeah, it's Nebraska, but you can you can build something there. When you look at these two, it's I think Auburn from a financial standpoint and support and competitive standpoint, maybe not competitive, but all those other things it's the best spot, right? You're going to have the most resources. You're in the SEC. They're going to pour money into recruiting. But at the same time, you're going to have to compete with probably the best conference in football. The SEC East might be the best conference in football this year. But, you know, you got Alabama. A&M struggling this year, but they're always good. Um, you got all these good teams in the SEC West. Maybe a coach looks at that and says, where can I compete better? Like, can I compete at Wisconsin? You know, the only team, I mean, Michigan and Ohio State are great, but that's less teams to compete with. Nebraska, like, I don't see Arizona State, Colorado, maybe Nebraska, Wisconsin competing just off of the fact of, okay, do I have enough resources here to turn this around and compete, right? I think Auburn is a great spot, and you alluded to it. Like, they won, but that was with Cam, right? Like, Cam, yeah. 
team. Like after Cam left, like fell off. And I mean, they had Nick Marshall when I was in college and they were, they played good, but then they fell off at the end there too. But I don't know. I'm, I'm going to throw it deep still though. I think it's out of all those, I would say it's the best for a coach. Resources. It's just a small gap though. Right? Like, cause even Stidham, when Stidham was there his junior year, he beat Bama and Georgia. They were both ranked number one when he beat them. That's right. Now they didn't, they didn't end up number one. They probably lost to somebody. I don't remember exactly how that year went, but like they weren't as good as Bama and they weren't as good as Georgia, but they won both those games. You know what I mean? And, and they have put a lot of dudes in the league. So I'm with you on Cam being Cam, but uh, like I was an MVP of the NFL, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think Auburn's the spot. Um, I mean, if I was in coaching, I, I think if money aside, like it'd be so fun to just like try and turn around Colorado. I freaking love Colorado. If I didn't like, I only had one offer and it was like three weeks before signing day. If I didn't get that offer, like there's a really good chance I would have gone and just been a college student at Colorado, like with my buddies and got really good at snowboarding and known everything under the sun about IPAs. Like that would have been, that would have been the route for me. Um, Perfect. It's great. Yeah. And ASU is another spot where it's like, that place is so fun and so easy to entertain and bring people to that. If you can rally, there's a lot of money in Phoenix. You're from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'd be, it'd be pretty, I mean, you're from there. It would be rad for ASU to be rolling. It'd be, it'd be rad. It'd be awesome. I mean, I grew up going to Arizona state games. Like I, I want to say it was plumber, but I think I'm too young for that. I'm not sure, but I grew up when they were good. It's probably Andrew Walter big tall dude maybe but i they were top 10 team like back when the pack it was pack 10 back then pack 10 was rolling right i went yeah. to a usc reggie bush game in sun devil stadium there and that stadium used to be where the cardinals played they played super bowls at that stadium like it is it's it's got all the potential and it, it just doesn't make sense why like schools like that can't bring in top guys consistently and and I don't know. Maybe it's a conference thing. Maybe it's the SEC versus Big Ten versus Pac-12 thing. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Fun fact. My brother, uh, Carson, was the number one recruit in the country. He his, his choices came down to two schools, USC, where he went, and Colorado. That's wild. Number one recruit in the country. It was heavily because of Rick Neuheisel and the coach at the time. But, like, pretty crazy that the number one recruit in the country was choosing between SC and Colorado. Glad he picked SC. <laughs> yeah. All right, that was third deeper. Check it down. Uh, we're going to get an interview with Taylor. Like we said at the beginning, we've recorded this before, but this was an awesome interview. Taylor's one of my favorite teammates I've ever played with. Great stories. Great locker room guy. Respected by everyone that he's been around. Um, he's balling right now. He's got the Minnesota Vikings coming up next week, a team who he used to play on as well. So um, let's get right into this interview uh, with Taylor Heineke. All right, welcome to the room. This is episode, what episode is this, Jordan? This is episode 12. 12, bro. So 12, we got a very special guest. Jordan doesn't know this guest. One of the first guests that Jordan doesn't know. One of my closest homies from the league, probably my my best homie for the first couple of years. We've both had crazy journeys. It seems like we've almost been on the same team randomly for the past four or five years. But starter of the Washington Commanders now, Taylor Heineke. Thanks for coming on, bro. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I've... Uh... You know, I first saw a couple of clips on your Instagram that you had a new podcast, and I was like, "Oh man!" Like he's kind of doing like I've always wanted to have a podcast. So you're kind of you beat me to it. Well, you're a big Joe Rogan guy. You can hop on whenever you want, man. Whenever I feel like it's I just feel like it's so saturated now, man. It's just like it you is. Gotta, you got to find your niche. Yeah. Well, the niche. This is the quarterback. this is the niche. There's nothing where there's actual quarterbacks talking like quarterbacks. This is not an interview. This is a conversation. Um, yeah, there you go. I'm with you. I thought it was saturated too. That's why it took me so long, but here we are. Um, 
it's funny, man. I think little kids, I'm around all different age quarterbacks. Little kids want to be the same couple of people. They want to be Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Tom Brady and all that and Aaron Rodgers. They want to be like one of like seven people, right? Um, and then you get older vets or retired guys like me and it's your story is the one that everybody loves and clings to. They've already seen Drew Brees. They've already seen all these guys. And so, um, I mean, real talk, I'm a fan, dude. I've been watching and... I'm a fan in a way that I'm more of a fan of what you've done than what some of the best players in the league are doing because they were drafted really high and they battled through it and they're having success and they should have success based off their talent level and their entry point into the league. But you and my uh, co-host, uh, whatever else you are, um, are the those are the journeys I, I gravitate towards. And I talk a lot about your journey being up and down. My logo for Summit is a mountain range because that's literally your career. It's how well you handle the highs and the lows. If you're really good at handling on the highs, congrats, bro, but the lows are going to get you. Same thing if you're back against the wall, you play your best ball, and then you have success and you fold. I've seen that too. Um, so I love that you've had high highs and low lows, and it seems like you've been consistent. And Kyle's radar on cool guys is uh, really, really firm. So the fact that he loves you, it's like, well, you're in, man. I love it. So thanks for joining, man. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It hit, Kyle, Kyle's talked a lot about you throughout the years. It's finally, it's it's nice to finally meet you. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I want to dive into the journey right now. I think it's really funny. Like my first year in the league, first of all, brought like football, making football fun again. I think you kind of felt the same way coming to Carolina when it was me. It was you, Garrett Gilbert. I remember you and me, I didn't have a car, so I was always riding around in your truck. We were always just, I was going wherever you were going. Like I was following you like a freaking whatever. I was on your ass always. But you and me both didn't think we were making that team once i remember every day during training camp and this is kind of how you are as is but you were like dude i'm not making this team bro like what was your mindset in that camp uh i don't dude that's i feel like it was such a long time ago but it was only what four four years ago four or five years ago i remember garrett because garrett was there before us and he actually started a couple games that year prior Mm -hmm. And he did well. So I remember coming in and I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm going to be that training camp body, just like that arm to, you know, kind of take stress off those guys. And, you know, obviously, you know, football is kind of a business. NFL is kind of a business. So, you know, once you get in, you kind of understand the whole roster business. Okay. They have an established guy in Garrett that the whole locker room loved. Obviously, Cam wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you bring in yourself, who's a, you know, a rookie that can toss the rock around, you know, you, you saw it in preseason and you, know, you could play ball. So I was just thinking the whole time I'm kind of that odd man out, you know, they, they want to keep cam, keep Garrett Cause they know what they have with him, develop Kyle. And I'm kind of a, a camp arm. And that was kind of my mindset. Cause you kind of see that throughout the league, you know, the, the more years you're in, you kind of under, start understand, you know, why people are there at certain, certain times. So yeah, that was, that was going through my mind when I first got there. Yeah, and then you end up falling out that preseason. I remember it was like a heated battle between you and Garrett, too. People don't understand. Like, people are watching preseason and they're like, oh, this football is so shitty. Like, guys suck. Like, no one cares. But it's like literally a battle for like life and death, like, especially for you and Garrett. And then for me in that last preseason game, I was just like, I need to play good or I'm never playing in this league again. You know, it was like, you got to take advantage of that opportunity. And then you ball out and you're the backup that year, backup the whole year. I get cut. I come back later in the year. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that whole time that you were the two. Interesting. Yeah. He was the two in Carolina that whole year. 
actually, I want to talk about this before we go on. That year in Carolina, Cam had his shoulder injury. And throughout the year, when there was a Hail Mary situation, you would have to go in and throw it. Yeah. Like, and it happened like three or four times. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre. So the first time it happened was against the uh, the Ravens. It was right before half. Mm-hmm. And it was like 45 seconds left. Or no, no, no. We're on like the 45. And there was like nine seconds left, I think. Maybe like six seconds left. And coach was like, Hail Mary. And Cam was like, I can't make it there. <laughs> Cam was like, no. So, nah. <laughs> so, we, so we took a delay of game. And <laughs> coach was just like, Taylor, warm your arm up real quick. So, I'm, you know, not throwing for two hours. I'm yeah. trying to warm my arm up. They throw Who me told, out there. Told you or, or uh, Scott? Rivera told me. Oh, God. So I'm trying to warm my arm up to, you know, throw a bomb. And so they just throw me out there. And I get out there, and they're, like, running. In, I know you guys may, maybe play Madden. They're running, like, engage eight. They're, like, running cover zero blitz. <laughs> and so I get the ball, and you just hear Greg Olson yelling at me, throw it to me, throw it to me. So I throw it, throw him, like, a 10-yard you know, just lollipop ball. He runs another five yards, gets out of bound with one second left. And we kick like a 56-yard field goal right before half. And that was one of, I think, four Hail Marys that year that I had to yeah. perform. That was probably the be- the one that went the best. Yes. You're, a fucking, you're a hero after that one. That was great. And then I remember once I came back, there was at least two more scenarios where you had to go in and you were getting smoked like go from just sitting on the sidelines watching the game to having to launch a 65 yarder sit in there and every time you get hit i'm not gonna lie you know this it's a yard sale anyways but on the hail mary you get fucking yard sale. <laughs> oh yeah don't any game especially like old preseason taylor clips like that's always the joke is every time taylor gets hit it's fucking yard sale, man but <laughs> it still is up. man you always get back up, but I was—I remember last year I was strapping up like once or twice a game because you're just—you're gritty, man. You—you you always get back up. But going back into that year, so you're the backup that whole year, and then Cam gets hurt. You get a chance to play against the Falcons, right? You go in, you're playing—you're playing good to start, and then you tear your tricep, which is crazy, right? You have a really gnarly scar on there. You actually got a sick tattoo over your scar on it. Now that I remember that, that tattoo's awesome, but you know it's your only chance, right? This kind of goes back to like, let's do or die moment for you. It's your only chance. So you came back in with that, in that game with a torn tricep, with an elbow brace from like the top of your wrist to like your shoulder on your left arm. And you're basically running around there with one arm and you didn't play great. You know, you're not going to play great with that injury going on, but you gritted it out. What was your thoughts going through that too? Because I think you were, just basically saying like I got to do this because I don't know if I'm going to get another chance yeah so I think it happened right before halftime I kind of blew out my whole elbow um you know all the ligaments in my elbow were gone and then they didn't know this at the time but I had a torn tricep and in the back of my mind when I was in that training room was this might be my last chance I ever get to play mm-hmm. um so I just told RV I was like hey man let's give me whatever you got the tortoral give me a brace I don't care um, I'm getting back out there because we were out of the playoff race anyway. Mm. And um, and coach put me back in. And again, you know, that was what was going through my mind was, hey, this is going to be the last time I ever get to play this game. Um, I'm going to gut it out and, and try and have some fun with it. Still- yeah, you, you did gut it out. And then I think this kind of goes back to Jordan, what you were saying earlier about your journey, right? Your journey has been very crazy. It's kind of It's kind of weird how our paths have crossed because after that, you obviously didn't play the next week because 
It's crazy that you even finished that game. Your arm was blown out. Thank God you finished that game because I was not ready to play. There's no <laughs> chance. I threw like four passes and completed them. And I was like, I remember it was two minute drill or it was the two minute warning. And I look over to the sideline and I see you over there and I'm like, ready? Like, come on, get my ass out of here, bro. I've been on the streets before that. But so you don't, you don't play the next game. I play the next game and I, and I played well in that game. And then the next year we draft Will Greer, right? And so it's me, Cam, Will Greer, and you. And it's kind of another situation where you feel like you're the odd man out. And we kind of go through camp and the reps are different. You know, it's kind of like your journey, right? Kind of like all of our journeys. Jordan's been around a ton of guys with different journeys right there. Like, what were you thinking at that point? Pretty much the same thing, but I think it was more solidified. And yeah. Because I remember we were we were close that year, and I remember telling you, hey, you know, I was – because I was, I was Scott for, what, three, four years at that point. Yeah, you and were with him. Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, and so I was. I took the initiative at that point, like, hey, I'm I'm most likely going to be out. Um, and these are my boys, so I'm going to try and you know help them in whatever way I can. Um, you know, and I, I I know I'm kind of digressing here, but like when I was out of the league, um, and I was taking classes online, I found a lot of joy in just coaching high mm-hmm. school kids or helping, you know, whatever kids that were training at the gym that wanted to get better. I would take the time out and and train them. And I felt, you know, I had a lot of joy in that. So I think that stemmed from that year. And I felt like I was the odd man out and kind of just helping you guys in any way I could and having fun with it. Um, but yeah, that was a more solidifying year where I kind of knew I was going to be on the move. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Your career gets to those points. Jordan. I've, I'm sure you felt like that in your career too, where you've been in different points where it's just like a political version of it all. Right. Like you can see the writing on the wall. You can kind of feel it. Like I'm sure you've been in a ton of positions like that. Yeah. It's, I just think like there's so many times in the career for a quarterback. And I played in a time where the first half of my career, every team kept three. And then in 2010, the new CBA, it made it really hard to keep three quarterbacks. So they kind of just eliminated like 20, you know, almost every team didn't keep three. So kind of just like 25 spots are gone. And it was just like, Whoa, I had to, I used to have to be the top 96 in the world. Now I got to be like the top 75 in the world. You know what I mean? And then if somebody drafts somebody, it doesn't even matter if, if I'm better than them or not. It doesn't matter. They drafted them, right? Or paid them either yeah. way. And so um, there was I, every year for me, it was a lot more reasons why this wasn't going to work than it was going to work. But you juxtapose that with a bunch of the Kurt Warner stories and now the Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen stories and PJ Walker last week. So, you know, it's one of those like there's a whole bunch of reasons why this is not going to go my way. Right. Political, contractual, whatever. Um, but I don't know. Shit happens. I've seen other people make it. So whatever. I'm going to go head down and go all in. Right. And I just think it's like a combination of those two. And I definitely know for a portion of my career, um, I spent the majority of the time focusing on the things that were out of my control and were going to keep me from getting where I wanted to go. I got older, I got more mature, I got some, you know, from some help from a sports psychology standpoint, from a confidence standpoint. And then I played the second half of my career going, screw it, I'm going to figure out a way, I'm going to pave a way here, right? And so like that mentality, you you guys both have it. Taylor, where does that come from for you? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's, you, you couldn't have drawn this out and bro, you could win a fucking Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like other people have come out of obscurity and when the best player ever was drafted in the sixth round, like, then that just opens the door for everybody, right? At least, like, from a mentality standpoint, whether it's underdog, fighter, what is whatever you want to label it as, 
Like where, where, where's that coming from for you? So I, th- I think it's a combination of a couple of things. You know, I grew up, you know, when I was born, my, my dad was from Wisconsin. So when I was born, I was, you know, a Packer fan from the jump and I grew up watching, uh, you know, Brett Favre and watching him play. He had so much passion and he had so much fun out there that kind of, that's how I fell in love with the game. So, you know, I just wanted to emulate him when I was on the field. So, you know, I didn't play quarterback until I was in eighth grade, and that's when it really started clicking for me. And even at that point, you know, I was still told I was too small, didn't have a strong enough arm. Um, you're not going to make it big in, you know, any shape or form. So, um, you know, I just kept on battling. And I kind of remembered, you know, why I, why I started playing the, the game. It was because of Brett Favre. You know, he was resilient, and he had fun with it. And that's what I just kept doing. So, you know, I still hear it nowadays. You know, the, the kid's too small. He's doesn't have a strong enough arm. He can't, you know, make the big throw, make the big play. And um, for me, it's just, hey, you know, I've got this far. You know, I, I'm leaving that, leaving all on the field every play, every game. And that's just how I played the game. You know, that's how I fell in love with the game. And um, that's how I like to play. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a battle every day, you know, every game. But, um, you know, it's got me to this point. So I can't, I can't go back now. Don't. I think that's, yeah, don't. Jordan. But I think that kind of goes into also like the end of your story and not really the end of your story, but the end of like when we were together, right. I break my leg when Washington also like earlier that year, you're texting Scott and being like, Hey, do you think I could come become a coach? You know, like that was crazy. He was texting me, texting Scott. And even Scott told you like that was COVID year. He was just like, dude, just be ready. You're like, you never know. Scott Turner, our OC, uh, North Turner son. And then later that year, I break my leg. Alex Smith goes in. He has complications with his leg. Um, you know, Dwayne not playing very well. Then you get signed and you come in and you ball out in that playoff game. And I remember I was watching that playoff game from the box. And, you know, to be honest with me, I'm like, I'm so pumped for you to be playing well. But at the same point in my head, it's kind of like a damn dude, like, Dude's coming for my job. Same type of deal, you know? It's like, I remember after that first pre, uh, first game I played in my rookie year after we won and I came off and I saw you in the training room next year or the next day. You're like, damn, man, you just took my job. It's like, this place is fucking cutthroat. Like, the NFL is crazy. But the full circle, like, you're coming in that playoff game. Like, we just talked about mindset. Like, your mindset was basically like, fuck it, I'm just going to play as hard as I can and see what happens. Yep, yep. And, you know, it's actually kind of, it's funny you bring that up because I was talking to someone else in the, I think it might have been Sam Howell, uh, our new quarterback. Um, I was like, you know, you would have loved Kyle. And it's funny because we kind of like stepped each other to where we are today. You know, I got injured. He came in, balled out. He got that job. And then vice versa in Washington. And, you know, now we – you know, I know I'm playing now, but I was back up to start the year. You're back up to start the year. We're kind of like in the same position. And we kind of just in a weird way helped each other get to this point. Um, yeah, by injury. Yeah. I like that. It's <laughs> almost like, like you guys like finish each other's sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You've been balling, man. And what I always tell people, we're going to get into a new segment. I wanted to go through your story because I think your story is fucking awesome. And I don't think people know like, like the ins and outs of it because there's so many different spots where you thought you were done. Like, and I think that goes for so many different people in this league, especially bubble guys who are fighting to make the roster every camp. Every time in training camp, when you don't think you're going to make the team, you think your career is over. And 
the next thing you know, you're starting playing games, but you're balling. But a, a reason why you're balling in the next segment we're getting into called Teach Tape is I've always told people this. You are the sixth god, literally. You throw digs better than anyone else I've ever seen. And you know this too. And you know it a little too well because you try to fit digs into some windows sometimes that you probably shouldn't. But we're going to play a clip from last game. Actually, it was perfect. I was We were talking about this last week before you played the Colts and then you dimed dig on the last um, drive of the game. But what we do in teach tape is we try and go into the quarterback's mind like pre-snap thoughts, right? I always think it's interesting talking to different guys. I always love talking to Alex Smith about his pre-snap thoughts, what he's thinking. So take us through this play and your pre-snap thoughts and what you're looking at and why you throw digs so well. Yeah, so let's start with the dig so well. Um, when I first got to Minnesota in 2015, uh, that was one of Norv's Nor's staple, Norv Turner staples, is throwing that dig route. And it has to be on timing. It has to be a five-step and let, just let it go. And I just remember I was so uncomfortable with it my rookie year. I just couldn't figure it out. And, you know, they, they always use this net drill where they always put a net around, what, 10 to 15 yards, and you had to throw over the net and have the have it hit the guy right in the eyes. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't figure it out. And I just – after my rookie year, I went home and just literally threw dig routes every day and got got great at it, and it's been my my route ever since. Um, and it's funny you say the sixth god because Luke was Luke Del Rio was just calling me that last week. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it lives so, on. Yeah. So, yeah, six route, outside dig routes are my favorite routes. Um, for whatever reason, I'm very comfortable with it. Um, but back to this play, we called this play Aztec, and – so you're going to get a, a drag by this guy down here, the, the tight end. You got Terry at number three. He's running a, a deep over route. You got Curtis Samuel at the number two. He's running a post. And you got a dig from the outside. And, you know, Indianapolis runs this coverage where it's like a 33 week. And it's kind of like that Seattle three where they have a guy mm-hmm. just waiting for that, that deep over. So I knew he was going to eat him up. I knew Curtis was going to eat up that safety. And all I was just looking at was that backer. Can I fit this dig behind this backer? Uh, number 44. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I saw him kind of chop his feet, you know, 10 yards downfield, I knew I had it. And, you know, Cam Sims is a, is a big body. I knew I could just kind of drill it in there and he's going to make a play. So and this was a huge one for us. I think this is in the last uh, two-minute drive there. Um, to yeah, there's one minute left here. Yeah. Yeah, I'd eat up some big – we need to, I think there's only maybe like a minute left in this game at this point. So, that, yeah, this was a huge play for us. Yeah, and you can see that, that net drill you're looking at, 44 right there. He's backing up, he's backing up, and he's getting what? To 10, 11, 12 yards right there. Mm-hmm. It's just like you said, right when you stop. I don't even think you would need to see him chop his feet. I think you're throwing this bitch regardless. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> this is an absolute Cam Newton regardless throw right here. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> Well, no, this is a huge play. And you like, like I said, you throw, you throw the boundary field. Like there's something to say about like, even one of my coaches said, I threw one of these in scout team the other day where it was literally like, I threw it like a go ball because the linebacker was so deep. They make me throw to the circle in scout team here, by the way, it's mm. the most fucking it's the worst. Oh. It's really pissing me off as lately. I know you, me and you used to run the fucking scout team. We used to <laughs> sling it, but I'm a circle guy now, but like there's honestly like you can't cover a dig unless it's man. Like those, that guy can get back there. You can find a way to get it over that guy, and you do it a lot better than most people I've ever seen. Another, I mean, another beautiful thing about that route is like you don't have to be perfect. You have to just like lay no, it in no. an area, just kind of yeah. put it put it in a little area. The receiver's gonna go get it, 
And, you know, obviously having a guy like Terry definitely helps. Yeah, Terry runs through it. You know a stat on Diggs? I think we were talking about this last year. Dig routes are the most intercepted route in the NFL. Interesting. Yeah, it's not even close. They, like, did a study. I think this was before last season they did a study on what is the most intercepted routes, and it's not even close. Well, I bet it's one of the most tipped throws from underneath coverage, and that probably has something to do with it. Right, you don't you don't throw fades over guys. You know what I mean? Over jumping defenders. A lot of guys who struggle with touch. You know, there's a lot who can rip it, but that's all touch. And the only some of the best guys can do that. Yeah, I've always. I would have thought. I would have thought out routes would have been because it's you know it's easy to leave those out routes inside. (laughs) Because of Jameis from uh, 2019. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think too. um, I see it: high school to college, college to pro. So much, so many high school, even though high school kids play seven on seven, they throw it so much more. They're way more advanced than when you guys were in high school, way more advanced than when I was in high school. They still run predominantly RPO and pure progression passing games. So if the guy's not open, they don't throw it to him, right? Like one to two to three to four. You don't throw people open a lot in high school football outside of fades and posts and wheels. And then you go to college and it's like kind of the same thing, but maybe you throw people open a little bit more. And then you go to the league and you got to throw people open. And so... These kids, whether it's the Elite 11 or draft training, everybody can drive the ball. Everybody can layer it pretty good, and nobody really has the touch that's required to play quarterback in the NFL. And I've always believed quarterbacks get really good at what they have to do to survive. So if you're a runaround guy um, and you got to get a play, you're probably going to run around. And if you're Peyton Manning at the end of your career, you're going to probably take the time to dial it in and get into the perfect play because that's what you do to survive. And so everyone kind of like, you know, path of least resistance or do what you got to do to survive. And so many guys going into the league, they've never had to layer digs to survive. They throw to the open dig or they go to the next progression. And so um, I, I've just seen like a delay in guys developing that part of their game. And that's dope that you literally just went home. That's like the old, well, it's like Brett Favre, right? Throwing into a tire. So that's dope that you wouldn't solve that problem yourself. And um, I played with Josh McCown, who's the best dig thrower I've ever seen, but he grew up when he got in the league, he was with Mike Martz and Mike Martz is like five hitch ball out four yards inside the numbers to a spot, layer it. If he's not there, we're going to get somebody in who can get there. And if you throw a dime second window, but it should have been first window, that's a bad play. You know what I mean? It was like, a, there's no compromising this. And so a lot of the guys that are great dig throws have been around. So one way or another, like some like tentacle has touched you know, the Mike Martz system, but Norv's the same way. I mean, Norv was ripping digs in there a long time ago with Aikman, you know, so. Yeah, surviving Norv's offense. That that was survival for you, was learning how to throw a dig in Norv's offense. Yeah. The other so. thing about that, too, is you don't need the best receiver in the league to get open on a dig. No. You can put a practice squad guy in there, and you can rip a dig versus cover two easy. So I think it's like the blank. You don't need Terry McLaurin to complete a dig in the league. No. But again, you know, like like Kyle said, the the best way to cover a dig is press man, and you know, even when Terry's press man, you know that that dig still looks open. Yeah, uh, damn, he'll find know. a way. It's funny with Terry too. It's like Terry will drop a wide open dragger out or a hitch route, and he like struggles with that. But he has like a ninety nine percent catch on can uh inflict the catches. What am I trying to say? Yeah, contest the catches. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I played with Ocho, uh, and he he basically got two trail, some version of two trail, the whole game, right at all times, and he would catch three or four digs a game. It didn't matter with two trail, like where the guy let, you know jumps inside of him, lets him go, and then just swims in his wake with a safety over the top. 
but we ran enough like inside release stem lock seven out of it or dig mm-hmm. out of it or like lock seven lean post cross the state. There was enough there, enough variations of things there that it, it didn't matter to trail. I mean, my brother's going to throw it to him anyways. Um, so to watch people get, lose a lose a guy who has help over the top, who has inside leverage and good digs, uh, was crazy. I mean, we see it all the time. Devontae, D-Hop, these guys still do that. But um, that's dope, man. Um, good catch on the uh, on that play, Kyle. Yeah. All right, we're going to do a little bit uh, less football now. We're going to go back. We were just talking about how you always want to start a podcast. You're a huge Joe Rogan guy. Mm. Maybe the biggest Joe Rogan guy I know, which is saying a lot. A lot. So there's a couple Joe Rogan guys in this room. Mm-hmm. Are you still a big Joe Rogan guy? I am. I listen to him every day on the way to work. Every single fucking day. I already know it. All right, so we're going to play a little game. You're also a big Aaron Rodgers guy. You just beat Aaron Rodgers. Are you wearing your Jays right now? I'm not. Let's see them toes. You said what? Let's see your toes if you're not wearing the Jays. Are you barefoot right now? Nah, I'm wearing my Golden Gooses right now. Oh wow! You've switched off with the golden gooses. Dude, oh. That's that's the uh, that's the Kyle Allen style right there. <laughs> that's big money Taylor right now. He's <laughs> a Chucks guy. Go on. All I right, but be, uh, yeah, I used to yeah, be specifically Chucks. Yeah, but big Aaron Rodgers fan too. You're a Packer fan, um, but you're an Aaron Rodgers fan off the field as well. And I'm sure, like we used to talk about his uh, his shows with McAfee last year, and then he's got all the stuff going on this year, but. We're going to play a little game. It's going to be called Rogan or Rogers. Okay. I'm going to read you a quote and you got to tell me if you think Rogan or Rogers said it. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's like literally it probably could go either way on all these, but all right. First one, greatness and madness are next door neighbors and they often borrow each other's sugar. Rogan. That is Rogan. That's good. Ding. See, you can think about this, but you probably know all of Rogan's quotes by heart. It depends on how long his commute is. Yeah. 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 All right. Next one. You can't measure what's inside a man's heart. Rogan. It is Rogan. All right. It takes a career, a lifetime to build up a reputation and only one misstep for it all to crumble away. That's Rogers. You know why that's Rodgers? You know what I just thought of? It's probably Rodgers telling his receivers that when they run the wrong route. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just immediately destroying them. I'm surprised they didn't trade for anyone today, dude. I thought Shut. they were right. Yeah, that was a – yeah. I mean, you look at it like you just paid the guy a lot of money. Like, get him some help. A lot of money. Watched, and there's yeah. a lot of guys looking for help too or looking to go in, to other teams. I watched Cowherd today. He did a segment on it. He had a great point. He's like – the Packers are the most confused organization in football because are they trying to win now or are they trying to build for the future? They've made so many decisions about the future, Jordan Love being one of them. But when you pay a quarterback 50 million bucks, you can say what you want. You're trying to win now. Like you just yeah. you don't drop right. 50 mil on somebody like so so what is it here? And if and it was like if they don't take a pass catcher today, then they're playing on the future and so it's like I, I thought it was a great take cuz it's like you guys you can't do both, right? Like the Bears today said, we're playing for the future, right? Mm-hmm. Like San Francisco said, we're trying to win right now, right? And so it's like either or. It's like Packers are all over the place. Anyways. Yeah, yeah I, haven't, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard one good argument on how, like, on where they are going, you know, like one good take on, you know, what they're trying to do. Yeah. Well, it feels like it's just in between, right? It feels like 
they can't lose Rogers. You know, like Rogers is their identity and they know if they move on, it's going to take however many years, but they just won't commit. It's like you said, they won't commit to bringing anybody in. I heard they were trying to bring Claypool in, but even like Claypool, like I just don't see him as that, that kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see them. The only thing that would make sense to me is if they went and got OBJ. I agree. Yeah, but there's going to be sweepstakes for OBJ. And they could lose two more games and OBJ could be like, nah. So, because they're out of it. That's the problem. So, you need OBJ. You need something now. But, anyways. We got one more on here. Uh, You might go four for four here. This is crazy. I look for my opportunities, not trying to go outside of my genuine realm because leadership has to be genuine and authentic. Rogers, gotta be Rogers. Fucking, yeah. like, I know this is. I won't there's say one more, Kyle. Knows. Oh, there's one more yeah. here. Oh, there's one more. Oh, this is a good one. In all my travelings, all my life adventures, I have to say, I have to say, I still don't know what life is. Absolutely no clue. And it is a subject that is constantly on my mind. One thing I do know for a fact is that the nicer we are to our fellow human beings, the nicer the universe. Us. Hmm. That sounds like some ayahuasca tea to me right there. I don't know. Are you trying to bait me into the Rogers? That was definitely Rogan. (laughs) 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 Oh, you're too obvious, Kyle. Five for five. How about it? I mean, dude. I mean, he said biggest fan. I don't know. Back it up. Being about it. That was good. Um, Jordan, you're part of the XFL this year. I want to shift gears to XFL right now. Um, you just had a bunch of quarterbacks in for XFL, right? Taylor's former XFL quarterback. Uh, yeah, man. Um, talked about you and PJ. You guys were both undefeated. They were out here last week, so the week before, you guys were both undefeated. He, they lost in overtime. That's right. They should have won. But, um, yeah, talking about that, just FYI, man, you got a room full of dudes on a couch waiting for an opportunity, not sure if it's going to come, who went like, damn, both those guys won? Like, you could see it. You know what I mean? So, you know, you play in the NFL, you impact young people, you go back to your hometown, everybody loves Taylor Heineke, like all that stuff's cool. But like, there's actually adults who are watching this, who are like, we throw the word inspiration around a lot, you know, as you know, pro athlete and you know, inspire people, all that stuff. But like, real talk, there's some dudes who are watching this, you know what I mean? Talk a little bit about um, that XFL experience, I guess, maybe give me like one or two things that you got from that league that help outside of success there helped pave an opportunity pay the way pave the way for an opportunity in the NFL like maybe what's one or two things that happened in the XFL that are showing up for you now you know I don't really know JP because I I wasn't starting man um, that is was, the craziest part of oh, it oh I didn't dude. know that yeah, yeah. Well, who um Jordan yeah, Jordan Taylor was starting. You were, but you were like the face of XFL because you were slamming seltzers after everything. Yeah, so um, I think it was kind of like a one of the same deals about that that one year that you were talking about in Carolina when we drafted Will Greer. Like you can kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, I felt like I had a great camp. I felt like I deserved the starting spot in the XFL, and it didn't come. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I can't control what the coaches think. Um, I'm going to try to make the best of this. And I just try to help Jordan, and I found a lot of joy in it. Um, it was frustrating at points because I felt like, you know, I want to play. Um, and my last game playing was that game I tore my tricep in. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to leave football in that way. But, you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't going to be one of those guys that comes in the facility and kind of mopes around. I think that that might have been the biggest takeaway I got from it is, hey, you know, a lot of guys would die to be in my shoes, even if it's not starting in the XFL. They would want to just be on a team and play ball. So yeah. I went to Ed. 
I went to work every day and just I try to have fun with it. I worked hard, try to help everyone around me, and uh, I think it ultimately got me better because you kind of step take a step back and see the big picture of it all. That's crazy. I didn't know you didn't, you started. Um, let me turn the tables here. You got any advice for me? So I've had everyone who's under contract out for a week in September, a week in October, the drafts in November, I'll do a session with them, a couple day session in, in Vegas. So I'm the director of quarterback development for all eight teams, just kind of different approach to it, kind of outside the box thing. Um, I got a couple more sessions with these guys, some Zooms coming up with these guys, and then we hope and curate what they do in season. You got any advice for me? Like what's something those guys can do? You got some guys who were just in camp. You got guys that you know, like Montez, um, like, Real talk, any advice? Like, what do you think they need? Um, I think the hardest, the, the biggest difference from the NFL to the XFL was just kind of like the professionalism of it. I'm not going to say it was, you know, slapdick, whatever, but it was it was just different. You came in, um, it was kind of more laid back. Um, and I remember a couple of our meetings, you know, our coaches having – we were drinking beers and watching film. It was very laid back and chill. Um, and I can see sometimes uh, the guys would either think that they're too good for that league or they deserve better or something. Um, you know, there was some some something holding them down and, and, and whatnot. And my biggest takeaway from it was like, hey, we're all here for, for a reason. You know, whether you didn't get your shot – or whether you did and didn't make the most of it, you're here. Just be present and and do your best while you're here. And I think good things come from that. Um, but you see, there was a lot of guys on that on that team that had the potential to play in the league, and for whatever reason, they just thought it was over. That they they were too good for it. They didn't work hard anymore, and they were kind of just there to have fun. Um, so I would, I would kind of just stress to those guys: Hey, if, even if you're not starting, even if it's not looking good, um, you know. We've all seen it. All it takes is one play. You get your opportunity and put some good film out there. Anything can happen. Yeah, that's rad. I, I think one of the things I did with them is like, like we got to take inventory of what's happened. Nobody's sitting in this couch right now going, I made it. I've always wanted to be in this couch in this room right now. Like, no, 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 this didn't go. There's kids in the room or the, the top recruits in the country coming out of high school. So like you got to take inventory and like look backwards like what are the things that have led you to where you're at Not more importantly like what are the things that shape who you are and make you believe like i did full therapy you know i brought in a guy who's i, I bring in to deal with draft guys i did bring in to work with my vets like more on the therapy side of things like well, i wanted to take inventory of where we're at because there's some scar tissue there's some embarrassment there's some resentment there's some anger there's some humiliation i mean i i lived with my in-laws and i signed a deal with the sacramento mountain lines of the united football league i, I was that you know i was there right and then played five you know five years in the league after that and so like i'm you know uniquely positioned to ha you know have, have an opinion on this but um but that was one thing and there's been like a lot of growth just from that of just like hey let's take inventory where we're at here because we've all thought this was going to go a certain way with that being said now it's different ownership group different everything so i don't think we'll be drinking beers and meetings and it's super professional super sick um sounds lame yeah kind of lame um but yeah, I'm excited to create some success stories and, and you know how it is, man. It's so easy to slip through these cracks and just not yeah, be known like about every, I mean, Kyle Allen is a perfect example. This guy met him when he was a sophomore in high school and come draft time, I had to use all my chips with Norv, who I've known forever. He Norv was my senior bowl OC in Mobile 
And I knew Scott because Scott's my age and known him forever. Norv and my brother Carson were next door neighbors in San Diego. I'd use every chip just to get Scott to go to Kyle's Pro Day, the only coach mm-hmm. to go to his Pro Day. You know what I mean? At Houston. So yep. there's so many ways you can slip through these cracks. Um, and there's so many people to scout and there's so much stuff to do and there's only so much time in the day and whatever. And so uh, I'm excited to like kind of find those guys and help them give the pieces and maybe they need to throw it better. Maybe they need to throw some digs over some nets. Maybe they need to like really reconnect on who they are and what they believe um, and how they, where they generate their self-confidence from. Maybe that's the only thing that's missing and they don't have anything physical. Maybe some guys just need to freaking play. They just haven't had a chance to, this guy transferred in, then they got hurt at the wrong time. This shit happened. The other thing, now how they are with no tape and they can freaking play. They just haven't been able to play. So um, I, I, to be honest with you, man, I'm, I'm about as excited for this XFL opportunity to, develop these guys as i've ever been for a draft class as i've ever been to work with some superstar starter um i'm pumped because i was on that couch you know all yeah, three of us were you know and what the cool thing is is like everyone's got their own journey everyone's got their own story and mm-hmm. a lot of people you know when they're growing up or when you're coming going through college you're thinking hey i'm going to get drafted i want to be on this team and i'm gonna you know go from there and sometimes most of the time it doesn't work out like that and are you going to let that dictate the rest of your career, no. Like, you know, maybe your next step is the XFL. Maybe that's your next stepping stone to get in the NFL. Um, cool. And that's just part of it. Make that story unique to yourself. Yeah. You got any funny NFL stories before we move on from the XFL? I mean, there had to be some wild shit going on. Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. I, I always called it the Juco of the NFL. I was going to say, it just seemed a little Juco-ish. I didn't want to say it, but I'm glad you did. No, it was – but at the same time – there was there was professional aspects of it, and it was a lot of fun. Again, when you win, you come back to the locker room. There's seltzers waiting for you, so you know guys bonus, enjoyed that. Right? And when bonuses, you won? yep. If you if you win, you get like a four thousand dollar bonus. So there's incentive to win. You don't have guys just collecting paychecks to go out there. Um, so yeah, it was. It, you know some some teams in the NFL like when you're out of the playoff race, it's tough to go in that facility week in week out. It is tough, man. Yeah, when you're in the it's XFL, weird. you might be one and four. Hey. We, we win, we get money. Yeah. You know. Yeah. When you, like, you've been on enough teams to be in that situation before late in the year. Mm-hmm. That is a weird vibe in there. And it's like, extra weird when the coaching staff thinks they're getting fired because I've been on, like, three of those teams. I've been on some two and 14 teams. And, you, you know, coach is in the room by himself, but he closes his door because he's making phone calls and he's checking back in with his guy from 10 years ago and all that, right? And so – like that's when it's real weird and nobody says anything. So all of a sudden, like the 15 minutes of joking around in the position room completely changed. And it's like, okay, somebody had a meeting. Somebody's agent told them something here. Now they're buttoned up. I've seen resumes out on desks. Like it's, that's when it starts getting heavy because these are people in their families and their lives and all that stuff. And so, and we're so expendable as players. So, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you for sure. But that makes sense though. I mean, there needs to be a developmental league. It's crazy, dude. Like the LPGA tour has a developmental league, like the NBA, the WNBA, soccer, baseball, basketball, everybody has a developmental league. And I get college football in the role that it plays, but no, there needs to be one that, um, you know, that's set apart from the others. So, um, you started playing two weeks ago, right? Carson broke his finger in that. That was a tough game to watch on Thursday night football. I'm not quite, mm. that one was tough. There's, um, pulled out the win in that game, though. But I remember the quote you came out with 
um, that came out with you afterwards when Carson told you he broke his finger. I could just see you sitting in that locker room being like, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that shit, man. I'm going to play golf. Is that real? Uh, you yeah. said that in it, right? Uh, yeah. 100%. That's such a real reaction, dude. You're like, come on, bro. That was like when we were playing Vegas last year and Max Crosby was just fucking your shit up the whole game. And you came up to me in the locker room and you were like, bro, you, you better be ready to go, man. I don't know if I can go. And I was like, you better strap back up and get out there, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's hilarious. But anyways, you've been balling. Um, you played – who did you guys play before the Colts? You guys played um, – you played Packers, right? Packers. Crazy game, right? I, we, I think we had a later game that day, so we got to see you through the pick six early on. Um, the fumble six with the holding call, right? You guys back, and then you balled out the rest of the game, brought the team back. Like, last week, I didn't catch it. I was just catching scores, but Sam Ellinger first started against the Colts. Like, that's a solid defense. People don't give that defense a lot of credit. It's a very solid defense. Um, battling, battling all game. Find a way to score at the end and win. That's kind of like, since I've been around you the last two years, it's kind of just the whole theme of how you play. Like it may not always be pretty at times. It may be ugly. You know, you may be yard sailing all over the place, but when it comes down to crunch time, the guy around you, they just feels like they play harder for you, you know? And I'm not like comparing you to anyone else. I'm just saying when you're in the game, even like watching your old preseason tape in Minnesota, right? Like it feels like when you're in the game, guys have play really hard for you. They have to seems like big plays are made in big situations. What do you think that comes from? Because I think it's situational football. Number one is the most important thing for a quarterback. And then just getting your teammates to play hard for you is probably second important. I would say the biggest thing is probably, I think my story has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, they, they kind of see like where I've, you know, what I've been through, where I've come from and you know, how I play. And it's one of those deals where it's, I'm going to leave it all on the field literally every game. Cause I just, it might be my last game plan. I don't know. Um, and those guys know I'm going to give them a chance. Um, you know, you might be double covered, but hey, you know, if I'm getting some pressure, I'm going to give you a chance. Fuck it. Um, Terry's not somewhere, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I think guys kind of gravitate toward around that. Um, you know, you, obviously you see the, the NFL is a business, and a lot of guys kind of treat it as a business, you know, when um, there's times where guys are like, you know, they're getting a lot of pressure. They're getting beat up a lot. Um, they might kind of fold a little bit and try to look out for their health. You know, I don't care about my health, as you can probably see the way I play. You really don't. <laughs> you know, I, leave, I leave my body out there, and I think I learned that from Brett Favre. And I think that just it carries on, and I think a lot of guys kind of gravitate towards that because, again, no one's allowed to hit the quarterback in practice. No one's allowed to hit the quarterback. You know, you can barely even touch the quarterback in today's game, and mm-hmm. I'm out there flying around. Um, I think guys kind of get juiced from that. I got a, I got a question for both of you guys. Um, so you guys are both in a position. Let's say, let's say Kyle starts next week. Don't, I don't want to get into it, but just like, let's say Kyle starts next week. Okay. And it's not talking about Davis or anything like that. So you guys are both starting and let's say both you guys finish off the season strong, right? You, you go six and three or something like that. Right. And in, in your starts, no matter what, they're going to be talking about drafting a quarterback, or bringing in a free agent, or I don't know what Carson's contract is, and I, I, you know what I mean? I don't know that stuff. But, like, either way, they're going to be talking about replacing you. Like, how do you guys think about that, right? You guys are the consummate bridge quarterback. Good enough, can come in and win us a game and can lead us. But we, I, how do I sell a fan base on Taylor Heineke, even if you're 8-1? and one, You know what I mean? Like, either way, like, the, the media and the, 
expectations around that? Like, what do you, what do you do with that? How do you stay focused? To start with Taylor, how do you stay focused on that? Because that's a position that a lot of people find themselves in. And the when we were talking about before the show, we all have a common denominator here in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan's been paid to be the bridge, paid to be the guy, paid to be the back. He, you know, all of a sudden plays twenty years and makes a bunch of money and all that stuff. Um, he found a way to go. Well, no, no, I'm playing this week. This is what I'm worried about. Sunday is what I'm worried about, right? Um, and then was able to play a lot of Sundays. How do you think about that, Taylor? I know you got a lot on your plate right now, just being the starting quarterback in an NFL team. But like that happens. That you know, it is. It's out there. You don't even. You can. You can say I'm not going to read Twitter. Well, fuck, you're still going to hear it. What do you do with that, Taylor? Yeah, you know, you you kind of hear it that throughout college and the NFL. Um, and again, I think you know, throughout the years, you kind of try and figure out how to how to deal with it and how to cope with it. And you know, I came to peace with it, you know, four or five years ago. And I think my biggest motto is just control what you can control. Um, if they want to go get a new guy, okay. I can't control that. What I can control is, you know, what Rivera always says, you know, attitude, preparation, effort. I come in the facility every day, give it my all, um, do what I need to do and try and be the best teammate. And I think if I just do that every day, everything else will take care of itself. Um, you know, if one team doesn't want you, I think another team will want you. Um, it's all about – you know, trying to be the best teammate you can be. And, again, if you put good film out there, uh, someone's going to take a chance on you. And, you know, obviously you've seen that with, you know, Kyle and I. And, you know, here we are. No one, no one – if someone told me I was going to be in the league at least eight years when I was coming out of college, I thought I would have thought you were crazy. Um, but I think that just a testament to not listening to the noise and controlling what I can control. Um, that's how I go about it. I think for me – and I want to get your thoughts on this too, Taylor. I think – a guy like you in your position, and I'm not saying like the position in Washington right now. I'm just saying the position of like how you're playing quarterback, your background of being an undrafted guy, bouncing around the league, XFL, all that shit, right? Like I think when front office people and media people look at a guy like you, you're labeled as something different than a first round guy, right? I think you and me have had conversations before about first round guys, high pick guys, guys that have been starters before. They're always going to get more opportunities than guys like you or me. Mm -hmm. So when I look at it, it's like you can play really good. Like you can play better than some other guys that are playing and starting, but you just may not get that opportunity because I feel like the league is, I've more and more I've been in the league and you, you probably feel the same way. The league is a cover your ass type of league, right? Mm -hmm. Like whenever you're making a decision as a front office guy or a coach, you're, you're thinking like, all right, if I make this decision, am I like leaving my neck out on the table or am I gonna be able to cover my ass with this sometime later, right? And so when I look at a guy like you, especially like you're balling, like the team is behind you, like everywhere you've been, like the people rally behind you. But what is it going to take for the media or front office people to get past all like the bullshit that really doesn't matter being undrafted? Like I look at a guy like Romo, like someone just had to take a chance on him. Right. Like, do you think that goes into it too? Yeah, I definitely think it does. I mean, that kind of goes into the business aspect of, of the NFL. Um, you, you pay a guy, you know, a guy's a big time recruit and then he's, you know, goes to a big time college and he's a first round draft pick and you spend a lot of money on him. It's kind of like investing in stock. Like, you know, you're going to give the guy a lot of chances because you spend a lot of money on him. Now you have a guy that's making minimum. Um, yeah, he might be playing well, but you're not that invested in him. Um, 
I think that's kind of where it goes. You, you kind of stick to where you, the money is, where, like where you spend your money. You're going to give that guy an opportunity. You're going to give him more chances, more opportunities than, you know, guys like you and me. But, you know, that's, that's again, something out of our control. If you just when, – when, when our number's called, man, we're ready, and we go out there and try and do our best. Yeah. Um, speaking of best, this is one of the better things I've heard in a minute. Um, this deal with your Jordans, and I'm sure you've had – annoyed and talked about in the media a bunch like that but i don't really care i want to ask about it um so buying a pair of jordans every time you get a win in the team colors not only at every time he's buying jordans all the time but yeah, that's true yeah the guy lives on what's your wait how many pairs of jays you have now probably about 60 Jeez. what and it's been two in one years, location man. no i got about half up here half down in georgia 60 in two years and the golden gooses. Don't forget <laughs> what 60 pairs are. Okay. Do you have like a favorite pair? Nah, it's tough. Now I have to, the next one probably, <laughs> but now that, there's a, there's two, there's two guys that, you know, buy Jordans and then kind of customize them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go through those two guys to get a lot of my shoes. Cause there's, you know, I like the shoes that no one else has. Yeah. Um, so, you know, either one of those shoes or, you know, the Travis Scott's that always come out. Those are always f- sweet. You can wear them with anything. Yeah, those are um, sweet. So I would say Travis Scott's are probably my favorite. Do you have any purple and gold ones? I don't. So mm. hopefully after this week, I do. Minnesota mm. got many this week. Have you started perusing? Have you started looking at them? Do you have a purple and gold no, pair in no, mind? I, I think that's uh, bad juju. I'm going to wait. Yeah, that's smart. So you yeah. wait. Yeah. It's funny. I got my little boys. I, I only own one pair of Jordans, but I got my boys. Started. I literally have them like up on the shelf, just like little guy ones. These yeah. Awesome. There we go. <laughs> it was funny too. So when I when I knew I was getting cut at the end of my career, um, Chad Henney gave me this idea. Um, my wife and I were like had been married for a year, maybe two, weren't starting a family anytime soon. And I had like $8,500 left on my Nike Elite account. And I ordered $8,500 worth of kid shoes in all these different sizes in Smart. white and gray and black and neutral colors. And my kids are still busting out brand new Nikes that I ordered back in 2014. You know what I mean? And it was smart because like, I don't really pay for kids shoes right now. I got a, se- a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a newborn coming in two weeks. Um, and so I've just been recycling those shoes. But that was actually kind of how I-, I grew up. I wanted Jordans when I was little. I never got into, the, you know, I wouldn't call myself a sneakerhead. Um, but I got my little guy stuff because anytime they come up on Nike Elite, I'd be like, uh, yeah, we'll just get them. It's fine. Like, those are neutral. It's fine. So even these, like, eh, my, son's worn these. my son's worn these. You know what I mean? And if I have, a, I have a baby coming in two weeks, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. If it's a girl, she'll wear these two. He's going to work. So, yeah. yeah. And you know what? You can, uh, there's another use for those things. So, you know, obviously me and Kyle are big golfers. JP, are you a big golfer? I am. He, he likes okay. to keep it. I'm taking a lot of money from me. Sorry. This is <laughs> bad two off seasons for me. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So, you know, you can, I have a putter cover now that's a baby, baby shoe. It's a Jordan 1. Oh, ooh, and, you, and you put a sock in it. And it's just a, it's a sweet putter cover. So, like, when they get done with those shoes, make those into putter covers and you can sell them. So, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool, you know, deal. Way to be sustainable, Taylor. Way to keep the yeah. I like that. We should do some sort of, like, giveaway or something like that, Kyle. Like, 
some sort of thing with the community and all that yeah. and win like Jordan's Bears of Jordan's kids. sons, Jordan. That's now a putter cover. Thanks to Taylor. Heineken. We'll, we'll brand it. It'll be good. It'll be good. Every time Taylor wins, he'll order one for himself and then he'll order one for us and we can give it away to the people. Every time the commanders win, a guy gets a putter head cover. That's great. There we go. All right, Taylor. I know it's late by you. So we're just going to do two quick more segments. We'll let you go. Get started on Minnesota. Um, me, you, and Jordan have been around a lot of the same people in the league. I think we were talking about it before the show, too, but we know a lot of the same people. Um, shout out to Steven Montez. He won't be a part of this game. Hey, but. shout out to Ken Zampezi. He was my quarterback coach for four years. Dang. Shout out Zamps. to Ken Zampezi. Z. <laughs> 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 the Dino Oh, so good. Yep, dude. Shout out to yep. I told Luke on the oh, show. Oh, LDR. So. Yeah. And LDR, yeah. I've known him since Elite 11 kid in high school. So, oh, man. Uh, Luke sent me a picture of Zamp in the um, uh, his outfit oh. yesterday. It's, it. it's funny, too, because when it comes to Luke Del Rio, like everyone knows Jack Del Rio as like a coach or as like either they're like a fan and they know him as Jack Del Rio or they like played for Jack Del Rio. I know him as like the dad of the kid that I was training. So it's a totally yeah, different funny. perspective. You know what I mean? It's Jack. Yeah. Jack's you know, so funny. different. So what we're going to do though, is we're going to do, we play a first impressions game, right? I'm going to read you off a name and this is going to be a little different, Jordan. We're going to go back and forth between you and Taylor, since you guys know a lot of the same people. So Taylor, we're going to start with you. When I say the name, we're going to go back and forth, right? So say the first word that comes to your head, Jordan, you go, and then we'll go back and forth until you guys run out on each. Oh, name, I'm right? in, I'm in on this too. Yeah, you're in on this. You're great right. off the cuff. All right. All you're right. good. We're going to start off. Uh, Cam Newton. Uh, swaggy. Uh, one of one. Mm. If I have to be one word, unique. Makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, he does. Um, nicknames. Mm. Ooh, lovey-dovey. Um, I'm a key. No, that's actually uh, loud, loud, vocally, loud. fashion wise, everything's loud. Mm. All right, what's the next one? He's funny. funny. Very funny. Funniest. I think he might be the funniest teammate of all time. Probably, most likely. Like, not even close. Do you watch his YouTube channel? He's got a YouTube channel. I've seen clips on the Instagram where he's he's interviewing like big time people. Bro, he is hilarious. He had a. Like Brittany Renner on the other day, I forgot. It was like some girl who was like, like Instagram model or something, and she had a book, and she goes, "Did you read my book?" And he's fucking smoking a cigar. He goes, "Spark notes." Dying. <laughs> 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 he doesn't care at all. <laughs> oh, he's great. All right, next one. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Beard. Hmm. Um. Witty, he's a different kind of funny. He's, he's smart funny. Ivy League. Yeah, he's almost like too smart funny. Like a lot of the thing, all the jokes he says goes over my head. I'm like, hold up, I have to think. Yeah, or you don't know if he's being serious or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it like real quick, and then we'll get we'll get one more. Tell us about when you met him at the Masters. Okay, so <laughs> it's 2020, so it's COVID year, and I think. I think he still had to wear masks there. Um, no, you didn't. I went there. I was there the same year. You didn't have to. You didn't? No, you didn't have to. Okay. But there was and only I, like 7,000 people there, remember? There was like nobody there. Yeah, because it was only like 30, 30% occupation yeah. or whatever. Um, 
So it's the first time I met him. He's he's never seen me or met me before. And I'm sitting there with like three bags full of polos. And he's sitting there with his dad. And I Fresh just dropped the gift shop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Ten thousand on my bags. Yeah. I drop all my bags and I like open my arms and he has no idea who I am. I have like my sunglasses on. I take my sunglasses off and he finally recognizes me. He's like, dude, I thought you were trying to fight me. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> it's so funny. And then I met him at the Masters two days later. That was great. His dad yeah. is, you probably know his dad, Jordan. Yeah. His dad is exactly like him. They're the same yeah. person. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, two more. Alex Smith. Professional. Mm. Um, a fighter, not just because the the leg injury, but seven coordinators his first seven years in the league, and everybody counted him out. Dealt with the Aaron Rodgers bullshit forever, and he played his best. His best season was year twelve with Kansas City. So, yeah, the year that they drafted Pat, right? Yep. Same year. Yep. Yeah. Great golfer. Also, his leg is crazy. Crazy. I haven't seen crazy. it in person. Dude. Dude. And and on the other word I use is super freaking handsome. That guy's from yeah, day no one. Home. Yeah, he's got he's like really the most home. beautiful family. His wife's gorgeous. He's super handsome. All, always like dialed in, swaggy, with the yeah. San Francisco Giants hat on. Yeah, he's the man. Yeah. All right, last one, Ron Rivera. There's only one thing you need to say, ape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm say, I'm say he's the homie, man. Like the homie, he really is, man. He's he's my favorite head coach I've ever played for. He's uh, he's a player's coach. He he brings all the guys together. He lets you be yourself, man. He's mm-hmm. he lets you just be your authentic self. So uh, he's the homie for sure. I'd say real, yeah. His reputation as a player, similar as a coach, just a real dude. Yeah, real dude. He was he's on the '85 Bears, right? He was on that team. He's. Been around forever. I, you weren't there when he was going through cancer, but when he was going through cancer, didn't miss a day. He was on the sidelines during games. I had to go in and get IVs during chemo, like as real as they come. And he's given you and me both opportunities to be in this league. Like yeah. we're honestly indebted to him. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, dude, thanks for coming on. We got one more thing before you go. We do this with everyone. We call it the two minute drill. Um, it's basically your journey. I mean, we talked about your journey a lot, but it's your journey through your, your eyes, you know, like you can start from wherever you want. Um, it ends today right now with what's going on. But just from you, we'll put two minutes up. You can use as much as we want because we've already talked a ton about your jersey, but your journey. But through your eyes, just um, tell us what it what it's like to be Taylor Heineke. It's a roller coaster, man. Um, <laughs> lots of highs, lots of lows. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't want it any way different. I think it's kind of molded me into the, the guy I am today. Um and you know this this game of football is a game of life, man. There's you need a lot of people, you know, on your team that help you, and you got you got to count on. And you know, you think a game's going to go a certain way, you think your life's going to go a certain way, and you get knocked down. And um, it's all about how you get back up and, and respond to it. So, um, you know, I use everything that um, that helps me succeed at football. You know, I use the same things that help me succeed in life, and. You know, it's just, it's a very, it's a, it's a very beautiful game as, as tough as it is, you know, life is tough. So, um, I mean, that's how, that's how I kind of go about my life in football. And, you know, again, it's, it's a roller coaster. Life's a roller coaster, man. You know, when, when, right when you think you have it all figured out, you know, it, it comes tumbling down and it's you know, how you, how you build it back up. So, you know, that's kind of my life in a nutshell and hopefully we can keep this thing going. 
Well, dude, um, you're not supposed to be where you're at right now. You're not supposed to be a starting quarterback in the league. You're not supposed to be in the league. Um, none of this stuff is supposed to be happening. Same thing for you, Kyle. Um, not supposed to beat Minnesota, not supposed to win the NFC East, but you are here and you are playing. So I know people say, why not us and all that stuff, but like for real, dude, but like adjust your horizon and your view over how this is going to go. Um, I tell young guys when they're going in in college to start or in, you know, guys get the rookie season to start, don't give anybody too much credit. They got to play you. Uh, and you're not a young guy who doesn't need advice from me, but, um, but I would say that dude, don't give anybody too much credit. They got to play you. And that's becoming a problem for people. And, uh, I'm fired up, man. I, I, my favorite players, I, I love watching the, you know, the perennial hall of famers. That's great. We all love football. We all want to watch, you know, Aaron play Tom, you know, on Sunday night football for sure. Um, but it's stories like yours that I, I gravitate towards. And as a guy who helps young people for a living, it's stories like yours that I use as an example because they shouldn't make it to the league from statistical purposes, statistical reasons anyway. So you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to do any of the amazing stuff you're going to do. Who gives a shit? Go do it, man. I'm fired up to watch you do it. That's right, man. I appreciate that, JP. Awesome. Yeah, bro. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I'm stoked you came on. I was really excited for you to come on. A lot of reasons, like one of my favorite teammates, but also I just wanted people to see like, you're just like a dude, man. Like one of the coolest dudes in the locker room. And I think that's an underrated thing mm. in the NFL is just relationships you build with people in the locker room, the people that you respect, the time you put in, like you're one of the best I've seen do it. And I feel like you and me have kind of grown up in this league. Together. So it's nice to reconnect here and we'll see you in a couple of weeks, huh? Week Absolutely, 11. Man. Yeah, man. I'm going to be like... telling, tell, tell Scott, I'm telling all the secrets. So. Don't worry. <laughs> change those signals up. We have to change everything up. Come out this spring, man. Come spin and play some golf, man. Oh, I love to. Oh, he loves yeah. Newport. He loves OC. Newport guy. Oh, OC guy now. I yeah. tell you what. Every time I'm out there, I'm like, I'm moving here. He used to hate California until he came to OC. <laughs> Come on. That's the only part of California I like. Yeah, Same. maybe. All right. Thanks for coming. Get it. All, All right, right guys. Appreciate y'all. Yep. All right, that was Taylor Heineke. That was your first time meeting him. Like you said, we recorded that interview earlier today. But, was, I mean, just a hell of a dude. Like, great story, journey. Like, you and me talk about journey all the time. You talk about journey with all the quarterbacks you train. Like, what a freaking journey, man. I mean. It's just so easy to think that uh, everybody makes millions and they're super famous and that they just, like, went from college to the league and then now they're playing. And it's, like, case in point. There's a bunch of Heineke's all across the field, by the way. There's a Heineke at corners, a Heineke at guard. There's a Heineke at three technique. So, that was a, he's a great representation of a dude who's a fighter and figures it out and doesn't count himself out and doesn't really listen to what anybody says. He believes what he believes about himself. And then poof, here he is on a two game win streak. Yeah. He's killing it. Um, all right. That was episode 12. Appreciate you coming. If you're still here right now after the Taylor interview, subscribe to the channel. Subscribers are going up. Once we get to 5k, I'm going to give away a signed Jersey. I know that's just like gold these days. It's crazy. Mm, mm. Kyle Allen, crazy. But once we get to 5K, I'm going to give one away. Um, go to our Instagram, The Room with Kyle and JP. Follow us there. We're posting content there. Um, we've got a lot of great guests coming up. I think the back end of the season, we got a ton of really good guests coming up. It's going to ramp up. we got a lot of good NFL guys. Once we get into college football playoffs, we're going to have a lot of fun stuff around that. So I'm really pumped for it to get to the second half of the season where football really starts to matter, right? It doesn't really matter how you play in September or October. It really matters how you play late in the year. Um, Jordan, just to end it off, what are you grateful for this week? 
Man, I got baby number three coming and supposed to be in like 10 days, but could be any day here. So um, it's my third kid, a miracle of life. It is totally a miracle. It's like you come together, fast forward through what happens then. And then all of a sudden this baby comes out. They like have your characteristics. They act like you. They look like you. They think like you. And it is just the craziest thing. Um, and so um, I, I don't believe, I don't understand how people can have a kid and not believe in like some greater power um, because uh, it's pretty incredible and miracle is not an understatement. So really grateful that we get to do that. We've got a lot of friends and family who've not been able to stay on the schedule of the life that they had planned out for themselves with kids. You are, you're going to have a lot of teammates if you don't already, you'll experience that. Um, and so I just feel really grateful that get to bring a third little Palmer into the family. Young river coming soon. Baby river. Can't wait. Either I, way, boy or girl. So we're going to, we'll do some fun stuff. We've got to figure out a yeah. whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. So. We got a, uh, me and summer got a present coming for you guys pretty soon. I think Dottie's going to like it a lot. Um, nice. I am grateful for a short week. We got Eagles on Thursday night. We got pummeled by the Titans and there's nothing better than after losing a game like that to be able to play real quick and get it out of your brain. So um, I'm thankful. We got a tough game against the Eagles though. The Eagles look really good. Like awesome on defense, awesome on offense. Um, hoping we can pull out a win, man. We need to get back in the W column, get the, uh, get the spirits up around here. But thankful for that. We're playing quick, man. Ready to go. Go do it. Thanks so much. Episode 12. Got some banger guests coming up. Leave some comments. Let us know. Like Kyle said, like, subscribe, turn notifications on, all that good stuff. We'll see you next week. Good, man. I just-